Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 13. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Job, one chapter a night, and uh, verse by verse, and studying through this uh, book. And we are in chapter 13, and we're continuing uh, with this conversation, this dialogue that Job is having with his friends, this, this argument, if you would, uh, where they are accusing him, and he's defending himself, and, and all of that. And this is the second chapter in the uh, response that Job continues to give Zophar, and we're still kind of in round one. All of his friends have now uh, said something, and he's responded to them, and we're finishing up that response, and the next week they'll start round two. Uh, and they'll all go through and say something else, and they do this for three different rounds. And most of the book of Job is this conversation between Job and his friends. And if you notice here in Job chapter 13, uh, he begins in the same way that he did in chapter 12, bringing up something from chapter 12. He begins by just reiterating the point that his friends were not really making any new arguments. They're all just kind of saying the same thing, and they've got a little... Uh, you know, personal brand of crazy in their arguments, but they're all basically saying the same thing, just kind of preaching a prosperity gospel and accusing him of of uh, being a sinner and being wicked, and these things are happening to him because of that. And if you notice verse 1, the Bible says this, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. He's, uh, he's saying, look, I've, I've seen uh, what you see, I've heard, I've understood. He, he's explained to them, it's not that I don't understand your argument, I, I understand your argument. I just don't agree with it. Notice verse 2, he says, what ye know, the same do I know also. So he's saying, look, you're not, you're not coming up with anything new. There's no new thing under the sun here. These are the same types of arguments that we've already heard. Now, what I want you to notice in this chapter is that the chapter, as far as I can tell and, and from my study, uh, it seems to be divided into kind of two sections. And I'm going to give those to you uh, tonight. The first section, or the first part, is uh, where Job basically gives his friends several things that they should consider and it's things that you and I should consider before we judge someone too harshly. Because that's what his friends are doing. They're judging him. And the Bible talks about judgment and righteous judgment and the, the fact that we should judge people at times. But they're judging him in a way that is very harsh with the information they have. So uh, he begins uh, by giving, and between verses 2 and 13, there's nine things, and I'll point them out to you, that we should all consider before we judge someone, and before we judge them too harshly. Again, it's not that there's not a time and a place to judge. The Bible talks about judging righteously, but before you judge, you may want to consider these things that Job brings out. And then at the end of the chapter, between verses 14 and 28, he gives us five things to consider when you are going through something difficult. And of course, Job is going through a very difficult time in his life. So let me give you these nine things uh, to begin with, uh, nine things to consider before you judge someone too harshly. Now notice there in verse 2, he says this, what ye know, the same do I know also. Then he says these words, he says, I am not inferior unto you. Now he actually said that in the previous chapter as well. So the fact that he's bringing this up, he's making this point that his friends are trying to make him feel inferior. And you know, something that you and I should consider before we judge someone too harshly, we should be careful about allowing ourselves to feel superior to them 
the person we're judging, someone else, simply because they're going through a hard time or a difficult time in their lives. Because sometimes, and it's interesting because the Bible actually teaches about this in the New Testament. Keep your place there in Job 13. That's our text, of course, for tonight. And go to the New Testament book of Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter number 6. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. The Bible says that we should be very careful about not feeling superior to someone simply because they're going through a difficult time in their life. You know, sometimes we may have to step in and judge a situation. Sometimes there are marriage problems, and as a pastor or as a mature Christian, someone may uh, step in or be asked to step in or to help and have to make a judgment call. But you know, we should not sit there and think, well, they're having marriage problems, uh, so therefore uh, we must be better than they are. You know, we should never have this idea that we are superior to someone. Maybe someone's having financial difficulties and we're trying to help them and give them some advice. And we shouldn't uh, have this superior attitude like, well, we're not struggling with our finances. Like, they're struggling with their finances. Or maybe they're going through some health issues and maybe we can even try to help them and give them some biblical advice or say, look, the Bible teaches certain things about your health and things you shouldn't be doing or whatever. When we help people or when we judge people, we need to be very careful to not develop this attitude where we uh, look down on them or where we think we're superior to them simply because they're going through a difficult time in life. Because here's the truth, we all go through difficult times in life from time to time. There's been all sorts of times in your life and in my life where we needed somebody to step in and help us and we were thankful that they did it with the right attitude, with the right spirit. In fact, the Bible teaches this in Galatians chapter 6. Notice verse 1. The Bible says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if someone messes up, if they sin, if they do something uh, wrong and, and they need to be restored, it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, notice what he says, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. But notice that's not all it says. It doesn't say that our job is to simply restore such an one. And by the way, only those people who are spiritual are usually the ones that are interested in restoring anybody. He says, restore such an one, but then notice how he says you ought to do it. He says, in the spirit of meekness. What does it mean to be meek? It means to be gentle. It means to be considerate. Notice what he says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He says, look, when, when, you, when you, we have to judge a situation, when we have to look at someone and say, no, that's wrong. No, you did wrong. That's not okay. We've got, we've got to step in here. And maybe they've fallen, and, and, and we need, want to try to help them and restore them. The Bible says that that ought to be done with the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And look, when you realize that, hey, what I am, like Paul said, all that I am, I am by the grace of God. Anything that I've accomplished, anything that I've done is by God's grace. When you live your life that way, you'll never make somebody else feel inferior to you. But here we have Job's friends who are supposedly trying to help him, and he keeps having to remind them, I'm not inferior unto you. I can only imagine how they were speaking to him. I can only imagine how their condescending attitude must have been. And we should be 
careful about allowing ourselves to feel superior to others because they're going through a hard time, because they're going through a difficult time, because they're having issues in their life. Look, we should try to help people in the spirit of meekness, the Bible says. Considering yourself, that you may also be tempted. I'll go back to Job chapter uh, 13. Notice what he says in verse 3. And verse 3 is just kind of this, this, this verse that really highlights, you know, Job, he, he doesn't sin in this, in this book in the way that Satan said he was going to sin. Job won because he never quit on God. And we're going to see that in this passage. Because remember, the, the, the whole, you know, uh, 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 challenge that Satan had given about Job was that Job does not serve God for naught. That the only reason that Job serves God is because God blesses him and because God uh, uh, has, has, has promoted him and has prospered him. So, and, and what Satan was saying was that if you take all that away from him, he's going to curse you to your face. That never happened. God, never, God, God was never cursed by Job. God never, uh, Job never gave up on God even when he lost everything. So that proves that Job was really following the Lord for the right reasons. But you know, that doesn't mean that Job didn't sin. That doesn't mean that he didn't do things wrong. And in verse 3, we kind of highlight what Job really did that was wrong in this book or kind of his downfall. The only real thing that he did wrong that he actually repents for at the end of the book is found in verse 3. And it's not the only time it's found in verse 3, but it's highlighted here for us. He says, Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. And Job he, he begins to develop this attitude in the spirit and he kind of takes it further than he probably should throughout the book where he says, look, if I could just reason with God, if I could just argue with God, if I could just bring my case before God, I know that this would all get, you know, uh, 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 cleared up. There must be a mistake here. God's made a mistake. God just needs me to reason with him. And you know, that's why at the end of the book, God emphasizes this idea with Job where he's just, you know, just kind of help humbling Job a little bit and he's saying, Job, were you there when I created the world? Job, were you there when I did this? Job, were you there when I did that? Because Job gets this idea that, you know, if I could just talk to God, if I could just get an appointment with God, I could clear this whole thing up. And, you know, we need to realize that God is always right. Whether we understand it, whether we agree with it, whether it makes sense to us or not. So Job has this idea, and we'll see it through the book, where he just wants to talk. And we've already seen it. He wants to talk to God. He wants to argue with God. He wants a mediator uh, to be able to speak uh, with God. Notice verse 4. He says, But ye, talking to his friends, are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. Here's point number two. I said number one, before you judge someone too harshly, be careful about allowing yourself to feel superior to them simply because they're going through a difficult time. Here's point number two. Before you judge someone too harshly, make sure that we are being honest and actually bringing value to the situation. See, his friends were bringing no value, were bringing no honesty. Nothing they said was accurate or true or helpful. He says, ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. He said, you're like a doctor that's not helping me. You're not actually helping me heal. You're not actually helping me mend. And you know, when you and I... 
help someone spiritually. Because, you know, that's what we are, is a spiritual hospital, right? We bring people in here spiritually broken, and we want to try to help them, and we want to try to help uh, them walk with God and grow and, and, and get uh, healthy. But let's make sure that we're not harming them. Let's make sure that we're actually bringing honesty and bringing not lies, but we're bringing value to the situation. And, and let me just say this. Uh, uh, keep your place there in Job and go to the book of Proverbs if you would. Proverbs 17. Let me just say this real quick, and I'm not, I'm not preaching on this, and I don't want to get off on this uh, uh, you know, uh, rabbit trail too much, but let me, let me say this, because it, it, it's there, and, and I can't help but, but, but think about it. He says, you're all physicians of no value. You know, let's take a moment to consider the fact that as Bible-believing Christians, we should have an actual biblical perspective of, of medicine, because I will tell you this today, I'm not talking about spiritually, I'm talking about physically. There are lots of physicians out there of no value. And you know, we have often in America and in the world developed a, 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 a biblical perspective of medicine that is unbiblical. And you know, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for a doctor Obviously, there's a time and a place for a doctor if you're sick. But you know what our, our, our culture has developed this, this idea where you go to the doctor when you're not sick. You, know, you have to go for your annual checkup, whether you need it or not. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, they that are holy, not a physician. You know, you have to go give birth at a hospital. Well, a, a, a woman that's, not preg- that's pregnant, she's not sick. There's nothing wrong with her. What's wrong with giving birth at home? And I'm not saying you have to give birth at home, but, you know, we've got this stigma. You can't give birth at home. You have to do it at a doctor. Well, you know, the Bible says they that are whole need not a physician. When my wife's pregnant, she's not sick. There's no virus in her. That's a baby. So let's make sure that we're not these people who are just constantly running to the doctor, constantly going, you know, whether we need it or not, just any little thing, you know, uh, because today we are inundated with physicians of no value. And I asked Brother Shaw if I could bring him up in the sermon. I hope he remembers me <laughs> saying this. You know, Brother Shaw got a, uh, uh, what, brother, where is Brother Shaw? Good night. What, what's your degree that you got from UCLA? He got a neuroscience degree from UCLA. I hope it's okay for me to say that. And, and he, he went to medical school in uh, San Francisco. What is it? UC, UCSF. And, you know, and, and Brother Shaw obviously believes the Bible and believes in, in all this natural stuff. But, you know, it's interesting because he, he went to all these years of medical school, and they're like, never got taught anything about nutrition. Man, never got taught anything about health. He had to memorize 3,000 prescription drugs by name and what they do and who to prescribe them to, never had one class on nutrition. I mean, at all. And it's just kind of, it's kind of funny because it's like, hey, I don't know anything about health. Don't, don't, I just went to medical school, you know? Like, I can't tell you how to be healthy. I'm not talking about Brother Shaw. I'm just saying these doctors out there, you know, we give them this degree and we think, oh, they're supposed to tell you, you know, everything about, about health. But let me tell you something. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Hey, you know, this is what Brother Shaw's testimony was that these doctors, a lot of times, it's just this business where it's like, get them out of the hospital. You come to the hospital, and they're like, here's a drug, get them out. Cha-ching! Next. Next. They're not actually trying to help you. Look, because, because here's the thing. They can't charge you for what actually helps you. You know what actually helps you a lot of times? is just eating healthy, exercising, having good nutrition. 
look, be careful. And I realize I'm not saying get off your medication. I'm not saying that. But be careful about thinking that you can just solve everything with a pill. Because today, we just have these physicians of no value that don't know anything about health, but they've got 3,000 medications they can prescribe to you. And if this one doesn't work, we'll try the next one. And as long as Medicare keeps paying, we'll just keep pumping you with drugs. You know, just be careful about that. The Bible says they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And again, if you're sick, you know, if you've got some issue, they need a doctor, I'm all for that. But just be careful about being these people who are just constantly going to the doctor, constantly going to the doctor, constantly going to the doctor. The Bible, and, and, and this coronavirus thing, this is another thing. Everybody's just scared, you know. And it's like, you know, shut everything down and, you know, break. And look, I realize there's elderly people that are at risk. I get that. There's people with, uh, with actual, uh, uh, you know, immunity issues or whatever that are at risk. People are at risk. But look, why are these, they've proven that it doesn't affect children. Why do they shut down all these schools? It's just, it's just silliness. It's just physicians of no value. They're trying to shut down churches when we're, look, they that are holy, not a physician is what the Bible says. So it's just interesting that uh, here uh, Job kind of brings that up. But anyway, I'm not preaching about that. Go look at verse 5. He says this, Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. So here's point number three about things you ought to consider before you judge someone too harshly. Point number three is this, Consider that sometimes the smartest thing to say is to say nothing at all. Because he looks at his friends and he says, look, if ye would altogether hold your peace, it should be your wisdom. He says the, the smartest thing, Job, it's almost like Job knew that this was being written down and it was going to be read for thousands of years. And he's telling his friends, you know, the smartest thing for you to say right now would be to just say nothing. Proverbs 17 teaches this. Proverbs chapter 17, look at verse 27. Proverbs 17, verse 27. The Bible says this. He that hath knowledge, notice these words. He that hath knowledge, what does that mean? Someone who knows something spareth his words. What does it mean to spare your words? It means that they're careful with their words. They use them sparingly. He that hath knowledge spareth his words And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Notice verse 28. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Here the Bible is teaching us that sometimes you say, you know, I'm going to judge this situation. I'm going to get involved in this situation. I'm going to put my two cents in. Well, look, before you judge someone too harshly, you ought to consider that sometimes the smartest thing to say is to say nothing at all. Is to just spare your words. Is to uh, uh, hold back your peace. He that holdeth his peace is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Keep your place right there in Proverbs. We're going to come back to the book of Proverbs. Go back to Job, if you would. Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13. And the next point kind of goes with that point about sparing your words. In verse 6, he says this, Hear now my reasoning, and hearken to the pleading of my lips. Job says, look, Here's your problem, guys. You talk too much, and you don't listen. He says, hear now my reasoning, 
and hearkening, uh, and hearken to the pleading of my lips. He brings this up in verse 17 of the same chapter. Skip down to verse 17 just real quickly. Notice what he says in the first part of verse 17. He says, Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. See, he says, look, you're not listening to what I'm saying. It's interesting to me that we spend a lot of time, you know, teaching kids and uh, teaching adults or whatever how to speak and how to communicate. And obviously all that is, is, is great. But you know what we should also do is just teach people how to listen. Because oftentimes the problems that we have in our relationships is that we just don't, we're not listening to what's being communicated to us. And you know, before you put your two cents in, it would be wise of you to just stop and listen. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what the issue is. Get all of the facts. Get all of the story. Before you just come down hard on Job and say, I already know what's wrong here. Let me tell you, Job, everything's wrong with you. You know, why don't you get his side of the story? He says, hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleading of my lips. He said in verse 17, hear diligently my speech. So look, before we judge too harshly, we had to learn to actually listen to other people. And we actually, and, and, and you know, the reason I believe that we struggle with listening is because we just, we don't care. We don't care what people say. You ever talk to somebody and you can tell they're not listening to you because as you're talking, they're just getting, you know, their next response in, you know, their next thing they're going to say, their next job or whatever. But look, we ought not be those people. We ought to be people who are slow to speak, the Bible says. We actually see that in the book of James. We ought to be people who take the time to listen, to get the full story, to hear the other person's uh, perspective, and we might learn something. Sometimes you take the time to hear somebody else out, and you're like, wow, I never considered that. I never saw it from that perspective. I never saw it that way. Notice verse number seven. He says, will ye speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Will ye accept his person? Will ye contend for God? Now, he already told us that they're talking too much, right? In verse 5, he said, Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. Now he's saying, look, here's the problem with speaking too much, is that you're speaking wickedly for God. You're talking deceitfully for him. You're standing up here and telling me that this is what God said, and this is what God believes, and this is what God thinks about me. But he says, you're wrong. You're not saying the right things. And here's the point number five. Before we judge someone too harshly, we should consider the fact that sometimes saying too much can lend to saying sinful and wrong things. Go to Proverbs chapter 10. This is something found in the book of Proverbs as well, if you kept your place there. Proverbs chapter 10. See, we should learn, we should learn to use our words sparingly, and we should learn to listen. Because when we talk too much, we're liable to say something wrong. We're liable to say something wicked, say something sinful. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. What does that mean, there wanteth not sin? That phrase means there is no want for sin. Or he says, there is no lack of sin. He says, look, in the multitude of words, there's no lack for sin. Why? Because in the multitude of words, we often sin. 
When we say too much, when we talk too much, we often say wrong things and sinful things. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. By the way, this is why the Bible says in the book of James, be not many masters. He says, look, those of us who stand up and speak for a living, we're going to be held to very high uh, uh, accountability with God because when we talk a lot, you're, you're liable to say a lot of wrong things. You know, which is why as preachers, obviously none of us are perfect, but we should do our best to make sure that we've studied, make sure that we know what we're saying, make sure that we understand what we're saying. Because look, when you talk too much, you're liable to say the wrong thing. You're liable to say a sinful thing. So look, if you get called upon to judge a situation, you say, what should I do? Walk in quietly. Try to listen to everything, get all of the reports, get all of the stories, get all of the different sides of the story, try to get as much information, and be careful not to talk too much. Because often, we judge wrongly, and we judge harshly as a result of not listening and saying too much. Go, go back to Job chapter 13, look at verse 9. I said number one, before we judge someone too harshly, we should be careful about allowing ourselves to feel superior to, to someone else just because they're going through a hard time. I said, number two, we should be honest and actually bring value to the situation. And if we can't bring value to the situation, then we should just not involve ourselves. We should not be physicians of no value. And uh, number three, we should consider that sometimes the smartest thing to say is to say nothing at all. We should learn to actively listen to other people and to try to see things from their perspective. I don't know how many relational conflicts would be resolved if people just tried to see things from the other person's perspective. Here's the thing. If you try to see things from the other person's perspective, it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily agree with them. It doesn't mean that you're not going to still find an issue with their reasoning. But you know what it usually means? It means that you're not going to start acting condescending to them and acting like they're inferior to you. Because here's the truth. You know, you argue with your coworker, you argue with your boss, you argue with your spouse, but here's the truth. Your spouse isn't an idiot. You know, you may disagree on a certain issue, but they're not just a complete and utter moron. They're not just a buffoon. If you actually try to see it from their perspective, you may still not agree with it, but you might say, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't consider that. I can see where you're coming from. You, you might just resolve a lot of issues in your life if you learn to listen actively to other people. You got to consider that saying too much will lend to saying the wrong thing. Here's point number six. Before you judge someone too harshly, you got to consider that God may judge you in the same way or by the same standard that you're judging them. I mean, notice what Job says in verse 9. He says, it is good that he, referring to God, should search you out. Or as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock him? He's saying, look, the same way you're searching me out, right? Supposedly, you're figuring out everything that's wrong with me. He says, you know what? That's going to come back to you. God's going to search you out the same way. Go to Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Matthew chapter 7. And look, I want you to understand this. I'm not standing up here tonight telling you you should never judge. The Bible commands us to judge. But the Bible says that we ought to judge righteous judgment. 
You know, don't be one of these Christians who think, uh, oh, God's just against judging. And they take Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, out of context. God's against judging. Oh, really? There's a whole book in the Bible called the book of Judges. I don't think God's against judging. You know, the Bible says we're going to rule and reign and judge with him for, uh, for a thousand years. But what God wants us to do is to judge righteously. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 Probably one of the most quoted verses by liberals today. Judge not that ye be not judged. Well, you know, here's the thing about verse, whenever there's a verse one, it, there, there's usually a verse two or verse three, and there's some context to that. You say, what is God talking about when he says judge not? He's talking about the fact that you ought not judge hypocritically. And I don't have time to develop that. You can study that out on your own if you'd like. But I want you to notice verse two. And this is where that context begins. He says, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. See, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there's nothing wrong with judging people. But just consider this, consider this, that how hard you come, how harsh you come, how angry and mean. You say, well, I'm justified. Okay, that's fine. You may be justified, but just realize that you will one day be the guilty party. And with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. That's why Galatians tells us, well, if you got to judge, do it meekly. Do it gently. If you got to judge someone, you know, we don't compromise. We don't lie. We bring, we're not forgers of lies. We bring value to the situation. We actually do what needs to be done. But you know what? We realize that uh, by the grace of God, one day we're going to be judged. So we need to consider that God may judge us in the same way, and other people may judge us in the same way by the same standard we took. So look, be careful about just looking at people and criticizing them. I would never do that. I would never go there, and I can't believe she wore that. Look, the same way you treat people, you're going to be treated. This is a, this is a biblical principle in the Bible. It's called reaping and sowing. Sowing and reaping. And it's interesting because in verse 9 of Job 13, he says, as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock him? It's interesting because Galatians says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So we need to be careful, we need to be careful, and we need to consider the fact that God and others may judge us in the same way that we uh, judge others. Number 7, go back to Job if you would. Job chapter 13. Before you judge someone too harshly, here's point number seven. You ought to consider your motives. Because sometimes people attack you for one thing, but they're really motivated for another reason. And usually that reason is envy. Notice what Job says in verse 10. Job chapter 13 verse 10. He will surely reprove you. Job is looking at his friends and saying. He says, he will surely reprove you. Then he says this, if ye do secretly accept persons. And here's what Job is saying. Job is saying, I know why you're treating me this way, guys. Because you've been envious. God's been prospering me. God's been blessing me. God gave me a good marriage with good children and uh, finances and a business. And you've been envious 
for a while and you've just been waiting for your opportunity to just bring me down a notch. And now that God is allowing these things in my life, he says, look, he will surely reprove you if you do secretly accept prison. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, are you really judging me righteously or are you motivated by something else? You know, it's funny because oftentimes people in ministry, people will try to attack you for one thing. Usually whatever the reason people are attacked, whatever reason people are leaving the church for, it's a lie. They're, they're, they've just, sometimes people are just angry and bitter and they're just looking. They're just waiting for the opportunity. They just need one thing, one thing to get the church on, one thing to get the pastor on, one thing to get the pastor's wife on. But you know, if you look at anybody long enough, you're going to find Whatever, whatever you need. The one time he was late to that meeting, that's why I'm quitting the church. No, you're quitting the church because you're backslidden. That's why you're quitting the church. Why don't you not be a forger of lies? But oftentimes, people are motivated by a different reason than the one they're actually attacking someone. Go to the book of James, if you would. James chapter 2. If you start at the end of the New Testament, you have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James. And you start criticizing somebody else in church. Oh, well, we're just praying for her. We're just praying for her. Pray, pray for sister so-and-so. She, you know, she's struggling. You know, you, you got to ask yourself. Sometimes when you do something, you got to ask yourself, why am I doing this, really? What's the real reason? What's the real motivation? Why am I actually attacking this person, criticizing this person, judging this person? Because you know what the real reason for Job? Job's friends, I think this is about Job's friends. They're not there to help him. They're not trying to restore him. He says, you're doing this because you secretly accept persons. And he said, you just like to see me be taken down a notch, is what Job is teaching them. But you know, the Bible teaches this idea that it is wicked to be a respecter of persons. James chapter 2, I'd like you to notice in verse 1. The Bible says that when it comes, you say, what does it mean to accept persons, secretly accept persons, or to be a respecter of persons? It means that you like certain people more, or dislike certain people more, for, for just personal you know, reasons about them. That God says we should not be judged. And, and, and of course, in James, we bring up the, 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 probably the most common reason why people have respect to persons for money. James chapter 2, look at verse 1. He says, my brethren. And he's talking to believers. And look, it's really interesting that, that we highlight that. Because this is something that the world is not known for. The world is known for being respecter of persons. He says, my brethren... Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. He says, you can't walk the, the walk of faith. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ and also be a respecter of persons. Then he gives this example. He says in verse 2, he says, For if there come unto your assembly, and an assembly is a church, a congregation. He says, if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him, 
that wearest the gay clothing, and of course the word gay is an older word uh, that, that means happy, mean, means colorful, means something that looks nice. He says, uh, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you and I should never have respect of persons in our actions. We should not judge someone at very bad position. Somebody walks into the door, and somebody walks in, just press, you know, they come into the parking lot with their nice vehicle and their luxury vehicle, and they step out, and they've got all their nice designer clothing, and they walk, and they just look like they've got money. You know, we shouldn't just roll out the red carpet, hey, how are you? Come on in. We have and then somebody else comes in, and they're just poor, dressed modestly, and then we just kind of like, you know, you sit over there. I mean, the Bible says, look, we shouldn't just say, sit thou here in a good place and say to the other, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Here, you sit on the floor. We don't have enough chairs for you. I mean, we should not have respect of persons in our actions. Now, here's the interesting thing. You preach this to the average independent federal Baptist today and everyone would say amen. I mean, I hope that everybody would say amen. Nobody would think like, yeah, of course. But you know, the Bible teaches that we should not only not have respect to persons in our actions, but we should also not have respect to persons in our attitudes. Because you say, well, of course, no, I mean, no, who would ever do that? None of us would ever do that. But yet people do that all day long in their minds and in their hearts. Look at verse 4. He says, are ye not then partial? The word partial means favoring one side above another. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges Notice, you say, oh, there's something wrong with being a judge. No, no, no. There's something wrong with being this type of judge. You are become judges of evil thoughts. See, we ought not respect persons in our actions or in our thoughts. In our actions or in our attitudes. We shouldn't be more excited because, you know, Mr. Big Bucks just walked through the door and joined the church, and then somebody else who's just, you know, um, more modest or poor or whatever, and we're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Let's not welcome them. Look at verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Here's the trick. Rich in faith. You know what's more important than being rich in this world is being rich in faith. Is being, is being wealthy in your walk with God. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. He says, do not rich men oppress you? I don't know why we're so impressed with rich people. Isn't it rich people who keep trying to vaccinate us and keep trying to keep us from homeschooling and keep trying to create all these problems for us? I'm supposed to be impressed with some rich guy. Rich guys are my biggest problem. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Look at verse 9. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And look, here's the point. We should just, we should just accept everybody, love everybody. As long as they're not an enemy of the Lord, of course. As long as they're not a reprobate. You know, but we should not have this respect to persons in our actions or in our attitudes. Where we just look down on people. Because they live on the wrong side of the street or the, of, the, of the track, you know, and they, they don't have a nice car. And by the way, you know what, let me just say this. 
Usually the people who look the most wealthy are the most broke. I mean, it depends how you count wealth. If you count wealth a bunch of debt, then yeah. You know, sometimes people walk through that door and they've got a lot of money and, they're, and they've got a lot of money because they live in a modest house and drive a modest car. Sometimes we let stupid things impress us. Big houses, big, nice car. You know, you know, all that means, you know, whenever I see a nice car, you know what I think? Debt. I don't think, wow, look at that person. They're really successful. You know what I think? I think, wow, look at that person. They must be in a lot of debt. Because 99.9% of Americans that have nice houses and nice cars and nice this, nice that, they didn't pay cash for it. It's debt. Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13. But you know what? More than that, why don't you just be rich in faith? Why don't you just be rich towards God? Why don't you just realize that everything in this world is going to burn up? That we should lay up for ourselves not treasures upon the earth, but treasures in heaven, is what the Bible says. Job chapter 13. Before we judge someone too harshly, we should consider the motives behind our judgment. Because sometimes people attack others for things that are not the actual reason, they're motivated for another reason, because they're respected persons. Number eight, before we judge someone too harshly, well, look, look at the verses. Look at verse 11 and 12. Shall not his excellency make you afraid? Talking about God. And here's what he's saying, what Job's saying to his friends. He said, aren't you afraid of God? Because God's not impressed with you. And his dread fall upon you. Then he says this in verse 12. He said, why should I be afraid of God? Here's why, verse 12. Your remembrances are like unto ashes. Your bodies to bodies of clay. You know, before we judge someone too harshly, we should just always remember that we are but dust. That we are just human beings. That we are ashes, that our bodies are clay. And that we are not God. Look at verse 13. He says it again, hold your peace. Let me alone that I may speak and let me come on me and, and let come on me what uh, will. Here's point number nine. Before we judge someone too harshly, we should slow down and let them speak. And we've kind of already brought that up. It, I, I'm not sure if you kept your place in James. I meant to ask you to keep your place in James. But if you can go back to James chapter one, I'd like you to know this is in verse 19. James chapter one and verse 19 James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be, notice these words, swift. The word swift means quick. You got to be quick. Quick to what? To hear. Swift to hear. Then he says this, slow to speak. And let me just say this. When you're swift to hear and slow to speak, you'll be slow to wrath. And you know, before we judge someone too harshly, we should just, we, we, we should be swift to hear, to hear them out. Slow to speak. And we should be slow to wrath. Go back to Job chapter 13. So like I said, this chapter was divided into two sections. The first section, the bigger section, was things that we must consider before we judge someone too harshly. We saw all nine of those. Quickly, let me just give you five things that Job kind of highlights for us here when you're going through something difficult in your life. And of course, Job was going through a very difficult time in his life. Notice what the Bible says. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, Wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Verse 15, he says this, one of the most famous verses in the entire book of Job. 
And one of the reasons that Job is who he is, the reason we look at him and we revere him and we say, wow, look at that man Job, is in verse 15. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what if I'm going through a difficult season in life? And let me just say this. We all go through difficult seasons in life. We all go through heartache. We all go through storms. We all go through hard times. You say, well, what, 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 what should I do? What would Job advise? Because Job's like the man when it comes to making it through a difficult season in life. Well, here's the first thing. When you're going through something hard, you got to trust God. I mean, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I mean, that's quite a statement. He, said, he says, here's what he says, he says to his friends. He says, I trust God. He said, I trust that God is doing the right thing for me. I trust that God is doing the best thing for me. And he says, even if God kills me, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He says, whatever God does, like you're going through a difficult time. We all go through difficult times. You're going through a difficult time. You say, what should I do? Here's what you should do. You should realize that God is always right. Whatever God does is right. Whatever God is doing is right. And even if he kills you, you got to trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. There's a second thing we can do while we're going through a difficult time. It's there at the end of verse 15. The first part of verse 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The second part says this, But I will maintain mine own ways before him. You know, when you're going through a difficult time in life, you got to maintain your ways. What does that mean? When you're going through a difficult time in your life, that is not the time to start making a bunch of drastic changes. When you're going, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, over the last 10 years of ministry, I feel like I, sh- I should have like a psychology degree or something because I just, I've watched people for 10 years. You know what I've noticed? When people start going through a difficult time, all of a sudden they want to move. All of a sudden they need a new job. All of a sudden they got to sell this house and go buy this house and go this and go that. They start making all these changes. You know, you know what Job said? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But he says, while God keeps me alive, I will maintain my own ways before him. So I'm not going to start making a bunch of drastic change. Here's what Job will say. Job will say, if I was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when everything was going well, then I'm just going to maintain that even when things aren't going well. If I was a soul winner, when things, when my finances were good, I'm going to continue to be a soul winner when my finances were not good. If I was reading the Bible every day, when everything was fine, then I'll keep reading the Bible every day when everything's not fine. He says, look, I will maintain my own ways for him. When you're going through something, that's not the time to start making changes and start making decisions. And When people start going, all of a sudden they want to, you know, it's the King James Bible actually. Should I have married her? You know, it's like, look, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, Job got through it. Job got through it really well. You know what he said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. Going through a difficult time is not the start, time to start making all sorts of decisions about changing everything up and I'm going to pull the kids out of this or we're going to stop homeschooling, we're going to go there, we're going to... No, 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 just maintain your ways. Here's number three, look at verse 16. He also shall be my salvation. For an hypocrite shall not come before him. And there's a lot that we could talk about in that verse, but I'll just say this. Job is saying, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not perfect, but I'm not who you're saying I am. He's telling his friends, look at verse 17. Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Look at verse 18. Behold now, 
I have ordered my cause, I know that I shall be justified. You know, when you're going through a difficult time in life, you ought to not only trust in the Lord, you ought to not only maintain your ways before Him, but number three, you ought to look to God to justify you. You ought to look for your justification in God. Don't look for justification in your friends. They might start attacking you for some other reason, just because they're envious of you. You ought to look for your justification in God. I know it's getting a little late, but let me just uh, show you a couple of verses on this, if you would. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. When you get there, put a ribbon or a book there. We're going to leave it. We're going to come right back to it. Then we'll finish up, okay? We're going to look at 1 Samuel, Job, and then 1 Samuel. We'll finish up. 1 Samuel 24. It's really interesting to me because in 1 Samuel 24, we have David who's running from Saul. And look, in this story, David is right, Saul is wrong. David has done nothing wrong. But Saul is chasing him. Saul tells all sorts of reasons as to why he's chasing Saul, but he never gives the real reason, which is this, envy. Because oftentimes when we judge people harshly, we judge them, we have real motives. That's why you always ought to ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing, really? What's the real reason? And here we have Saul who's hunting David for something that, for, David's done nothing wrong. He's been nothing but a loyal uh, worker and, and family member of Saul. First Samuel 24. I don't have the time to go through the whole story. This is a story where David has the opportunity to kill Saul and chooses not to. He, he cuts off a piece of his garment, a piece of his skirt from his uh, robe, but doesn't actually kill him. Look at verse 10. This is after David has showed himself to Saul and showed, he's showing him, look, I had the opportunity to kill you and I chose not to. First Samuel 24, verse 10. He says, Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see ye the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe. And kill thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Notice verse 12. Notice what David says. He says, The Lord judge between me and thee. <laughs> Look, let me tell you something. When everybody's against you, when everybody's talking, bad about you and criticizing you and they're all attacking you for all these reasons, you're in a good place if you can say, you know what, God knows the truth. Let the Lord judge between me and thee. And the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Look at verse 15. The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. Look, when you're going through a difficult time, you got to look for God to justify you. Look for God to vindicate you. Look for God to justify you. Let me give you a fourth thought. Keep your place right there in 1 Samuel. Go, go back to Job. Job chapter 13, verse 19. Who is he that will plead for me? 
For now, if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. Only do not two things unto me, then will I not hide myself from thee. Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Then call thou, and I will answer. Let me speak, and answer thou me. Look at verse 23. He says, How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, that's a good time to search your own life for sin. And, and, of course, Job is telling his friends, what he's telling his friends is, you know, you keep accusing me of all these terrible sins. He says, but, but you're not actually naming any of them. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. And, of course, his friends are like, ah, 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 well, you know, we don't really know. We just think and we're making assumptions, but we know that you're wicked. But you know, when you're going through a difficult time, it's good to just kind of pause and search. I mean, Job was open. He's saying, look, if I've done something wrong, tell me. How many are my iniquities and sins? And make me to know my transgressions and my sins. Psalm 139, you have to turn there. Verse 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. We ought to be willing to search our hearts. Number five, I got to finish up. Look at verse 24. Of Job 13. Therefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy. Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? And wilt thou pursue the dry stubble? For thou writest bitter things against me and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks and lookest narrowly unto all my path. Thou settest a prince upon the heels of my feet. And he as a rotten thing consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. I want you to notice how Job kind of describes himself here. In verse 25, he says, he says, Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? He says, look, I'm just a leaf. And wilt thou pursue the dry stubble? He says, I'm just dry. I'm not a, I'm not a strong tree. I'm just dry stubble. Verse 28, he says, As a rotten thing consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. Go, go back to 1 Samuel 24. We'll finish up right here. You say, what, what, what can we do when we're going through something difficult? I said, number one, you should trust in the Lord. Number two, you ought to maintain your ways. Number three, you ought to look to God to justify you. Number four, you ought to uh, search for any sin in your life. And number five, you ought to humble yourself. You say, Job was right. Yeah, but you know what? It's always good to humble yourself. Let me say this. It's never, it's never wrong to humble yourself. Job was right, and he humbled himself. You know who else was right, who we looked at tonight? David. David was right, and his story was Saul. But you know what? He came out humble. 1 Samuel 24, verse 14. After whom is the king of Israel come out? This is David speaking to Saul. He says, after whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? Then he answers this question. He says, after a dead dog. David is referring to himself. He says, he says, you know you're just coming out after a dead dog? After a flea? David just takes the opportunity to just kind of humble himself. And look, it's always right to humble yourself. It's always right to get a spirit of meekness. You say, but I'm right! Yeah, but you know what? When you're right, we talked about this on Sunday, when you're right, our flesh wants to power up and, and just, you know, let me tell you, let me show you, let me bring all the evidence. Even when you're right... You always ought to be humble. David said, I'm just a dead dog. You're searching and you're lying and you're stealing and you're doing all these things after a flea. Job says, wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? Wilt thou pursue the dry 
stubble? Because, you know, if, if, if the question is, is it right to be humble, the answer is always yes. If you're right, be humble. If you're wrong, be humble. If it's good, be humble. If it's not going good, be humble. Because the Bible says that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter in the Bible. Thank you for Job. And Lord, we realize that Job was not perfect. And not perfect in the, in the sense that we use the word perfect. He was complete and mature and he was a perfect believer. But we know he wasn't sinless. And we're not sinless. But Lord, help us to learn some things from Job. Help us to learn some lessons. When it's our time to judge, when it's our time to give our opinions, Lord, help us to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. And Lord, when we go through difficult times in life, when we go through hardship, help us to trust in the Lord. Help us to maintain our ways. Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to search our hearts for any sin in our lives. Lord, help us to learn to be like Job. And Lord, I pray you'd help us and see us through these difficult times in our, these seasons of darkness in our lives. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.